Welcome to Cautious Optimism, an infertility podcast. We are three friends eternally bonded by our individual heartaches with infertility. Join us each week as we discuss the ups and downs that often accompany the road to parenthood. Here's to hoping for the best and being cautiously optimistic about the future. Okay, welcome to the Cautious Optimism podcast after once again, a couple months of hiatus are bad. It's just been a busy time of life, but I'm so excited for this interview tonight. It's one of, as always, one of my friends that I've found to um, interview tonight. Her name is Brighton Kapua. Um, we've known each other for, we were just saying about five years. We both moved in around the same time to the same neighborhood and have just connected in different ways over the years through different challenges in our lives. And I'm just really excited to have her here tonight. So thanks for being here, Brighton. You're welcome. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I know. It's like, we were laughing. We're like, it won't be awkward because we're friends. Like the interviews aren't awkward because we're friends, but then you like hit record and it's like, okay, wait, now we're starting. So anyways, but Brighton, why don't you just kind of give us a short little introduction of you and tell us about who you are. Okay. Um, so my name is Brighton and I'm originally from Iowa, uh, but I lived in Utah for about 15 years now. So Utah is definitely home. Um, my husband and I have been married for 13 years. We have two little boys, a six-year-old and an almost three-year-old. Um, and the last few years have been very challenging. To say the least, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, the reason Brighton and I, we've talked about having you on for a while now. Um, and I think it's because mental health is just such a big part of infertility and just any challenge you go through, right? And Brian has kind of a unique experience with mental health that many people probably can relate to. Maybe not necessarily like with infertility, but the layers of mental health are just so deep and there's just so much to it. And so I just feel like your story can be so valuable to so many. So let's just kind of start from the beginning. Um, so kind of tell us when you first started to struggle or with the... I don't want to say your diagnosis, no, but fine. your diagnosis and kind yeah. of how it came about and what you started noticing and what was challenging in your life. Okay. Yeah. So I was prior to my early twenties, I didn't have any mental health issues at all. Um, I never experienced anxiety, never experienced depression. And this was, you know, 13, 14 years ago. And the conversation around mental health just wasn't there either. And so when I did start experiencing symptoms for the first time, I didn't even think to connect it to mental health. I didn't have a word for anxiety. I didn't have a word for any of it. It just seemed like this thing going on in my head that actually was legitimate, but that was really stressing me out. Um, so when I was probably 22 or 23, I got diagnosed with OCD, so obsessive compulsive disorder, and I was really surprised because I would never have guessed that I had OCD based on my symptoms, which is something we'll probably talk about, the misconceptions about OCD. Um, so I was, you know, I didn't have any fears about germs or hand washing or having things have to be in a certain order. It was all just really distressing, repetitive thoughts going on in my head um, that I just wanted to be gone, but they wouldn't go away. And luckily, I saw a 
general doctor who knew exactly what it was, which is actually really rare um, to be diagnosed that early. On average, research shows that it takes 17 years for someone wow. to get diagnosed Wow! Um, after symptoms start, just because people really don't know what it is and how it can manifest in so many different ways. Yeah. So um, at that time, I started going to an outpatient therapist um, once a week. And within it, I mean, it took a while. It was within a couple of years. I went back to feeling totally like myself with therapy and medication. Um, I, I got to a point where like, I didn't even think I had the disorder anymore. I just felt so free from it. And then about, so then we had my second baby in 2020. So there was probably like seven, eight years in between, um, these two events and it OCD exploded when he was born, um, several months after he was born. Um, and it, it has felt so much harder and has been a different experience this time around in just really bad, hard ways. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I know it's been so difficult for you and I will never understand the challenges you faced. Um, and I'm just so sorry that it's been so hard, but I'm just so happy that you're in a better place now and that you're willing to share your story and share what you've gone through and how you've come to where you are today. Because I just think that is what we are all here for is to help each other get through hard things. Right. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you just a little bit about your pregnancy with Brooks, because I remember you and I connected a little bit because we were both hoping to be pregnant like that same year. I remember we were like hoping and, but I just remember your pregnancy was so challenging. Was that from the OCD as well? Or do you think that was just because pregnancy was just hard for you at that point? I think I'm allergic to pregnancy <laughs> for sure. Hey, you know what? It's hard. But I also, I was not having OCD symptoms during okay. my pregnancy, but I was having a lot of anxiety. Okay. Um, which is probably a sign of what was to come. But my pregnancy was hard all around. Um, I was really, I, I get really nauseous and like sick when I'm pregnant, I was throwing up to like 30 weeks. It so was not fun. Not fun. Mm. Um, and then with the anxiety, like I started seeing a perinatal therapist during the pregnancy to talk about the anxiety. Um, but that aspect was really hard too. Um, and it, it just now when I look back, I'm like, I don't even count that as part of like the hard years right. because it's it's not even part of it. It's so much to me, it's like, oh, that was nothing compared to what happened yeah. after he was born. Um, but it it was challenging, but it seems like more in like typical ways right. that pregnancy might Not be challenging for someone. Not necessarily related to what you were going through after, like right. you said. So before we kind of go into the symptoms and the struggles that you've experienced, maybe let's talk about some of the misconceptions of OCD. Because I feel like I have learned so much from you about it because I... You know how I have, you know, flippantly said, oh, I'm so OCD about that. And I feel like that is that offensive because I feel like when to me, that's like, oh, I want to make sure things are organized and like put away certain places. 
that is not the same thing, right? I mean, some people have it to a degree where it is very mind-consuming and takes over, but maybe talk about some of those misconceptions. I think I'm hard to offend because I know, like, when people say, oh, I'm so OCD about this, they're not meaning anything, like, maliciously towards towards people who have OCD or me or anything. But I do really think that's something that I hope people don't say in the future because that leads to... Um, part of the misconceptions about the diagnosis in general. Because like when I was diagnosed and so many people, what we associate with OCD is the orderliness, the germs, the having the things to be a certain way, which those characteristics are part of it. But it's just like such a small part of it. And it's not part of it for everyone Mm. who has it. Um, And the other thing about OCD too, when it's said kind of like, oh, I'm OCD about this, or even there's like some shirts that might have something about like being I remember there was some like Christmas OCD like something I can't remember exactly obsessive Christmas disorder that was it oh okay so things like that it makes light of it and one it's an extremely like debilitating illness and it causes so much suffering for the people who have it and then the people who have it don't know they have it because they associate it with kind of this like almost like quirk like oh I really like clean things and like I just like my counters clean but OCD like is you don't enjoy it there's nothing if things are organized and you do have like some things have to be orderly it's not because you enjoy it it's really distressing um there's nothing anyone who there's nothing anyone enjoys about having OCD. There's just not one enjoyable part of it. Um, So I think, yeah, it just, for people who do have it, it could be offensive to them. Maybe not offensive, but just like, oh my gosh, I feel so much more alone because people trivialize this disorder because they don't understand it. And then you feel more alone in your struggle. And then also it just kind of furthers this wrong idea of what it actually is which can prevent people from getting help because they don't know that their symptoms don't match up with what like the society society is saying saying yeah what it is oh wow i i was just so like hit by what you said like you don't enjoy it like there's nothing about this that you would enjoy like i feel like that's a perfect way to put it because it's something hard that you're dealing with. It's not that you're like, oh, I'm happy that I'm having these thoughts. Right. Right? Yeah. And for you, I know postpartum, it was so difficult. Maybe just touch on, if you're if you're okay with that, kind of what was the hardest part postpartum and what kind of escalated, what made those challenges with your OCD so, yeah. so like, all-encompassing? So Brooks was born end of January of 2020, so right before the pandemic. I had been really anxious in my pregnancy and had worried about developing some kind of postpartum, um, but it hadn't happened with my first. So I also really expected it to go really well. Um, and then the when he was initially born, I felt really good. I was happy. I was like, oh my gosh, it was just pregnancy. Like, I feel so good. And then several months in maybe like only a couple months in, I, the anxiety started to come back. Um, 
And the anxiety kind of shifted to being scared of OCD coming back, like having memories of what that had been like years before. Um, and then like it came back, like be- probably because I was so afraid of it coming back that that's where my mind was. Like I was looking for symptoms and then you're hyper aware of it and kind of the symptoms just kind of started and probably perfect storm of like hormonal fluctuations. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. My medication was, I knew it wasn't working during the pregnancy, but they didn't want to change it while I was pregnant. So I think there were a lot of factors. And then you have the pandemic where like now I'm at home with a toddler and a six week old who, and no one can, you can't see anyone, you know? Right. And it was such a hard time to have a baby, I yes. would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really isolating anyway. Then let's see. So OCD, just, I'll give a, just like a little kind of definition of it to kind of then help describe what I experienced um, initially. So OCD is characterized by obsessions, which are usually distressing, intrusive thoughts that the person does not want to have. And so the thought comes in their mind. They're so like scared or disgusted or like shocked that they would have that thought that they try to get rid of it, which however you're trying to get rid of that thought is the compulsion. And so the compulsion is the repetitive behavior, which can be outward or it can be internal, um, like a mental compulsion to try and relieve that anxiety or distress caused by that intrusive thought or memory, image, feeling. There's lots of ways that it could come in, but it's intrusive. You don't want it. It's coming whether you, like, there's nothing you can do to stop it. And then the compulsions just feed the cycle. Um, So I remember I was holding Brooks and he was probably three or four months old. And I was thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I love a second baby the same. And I was thinking, wow, and life wouldn't feel complete now without him. I remember just having this like nice thought. And then I looked over at Will, who was four at the time, I just turned four. He was standing on the table and quick thought in my mind was, do I feel that way about Will? Like, is my life complete? Would I feel okay if I just said Brooks? Right. Just this quick thought, do I love Will Will as much as I love Brooks? And I immediately panicked at the thought because I, I knew it was an intrusive thought, which everybody gets, not people with just OCD get intrusive thoughts, mm-hmm. but I knew what my mind could do with that. And so I panicked that I even had that thought and that I didn't immediately know an answer to it to say like, yes, I feel exactly the same I way, do. like, yes. of course, or whatever. And... I started replaying that thought to try and test myself, like hoping that I would have the same feeling like, yes. Okay. Picture my life with just, um, Brooks. Okay. Definitely needs Will. Picture my life with just Will. Okay. Definitely needs Brooks. Okay. Good. We're We're good. I love both my kids. On this thought. Yeah. But that's the compulsion part. And so that was the first mental compulsion that I was performing. Um, and when you, yeah, it just reinforces to your brain that like that anxiety won't go away until you do that thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to break that pattern. And so I 
the obsession started with me just being very concerned that I didn't love my kids equally. Um, and it just was so painful to me because as OCD is painful to everyone, it attacks what you value the most because if it goes after something you don't care about, then you're not going to care about it, you know? Right, yeah. Um, but if it, it's always going to go after what the person really values. And so I, it was just like the worst thought in the world to me that I didn't love, couldn't love my kids equally, that maybe I didn't. And I, that, yeah, I just, it consumed me. Like that concern consumed me. And then any interaction with either kid would be come like me evaluating like what am I feeling or if like oh like you know if one kid does something that's annoying it's like oh do I love do I love him less now or trying to find reasons why oh yeah see that is why I love that and it was just it just took over and I was also so panicked that it was taking over because I had experienced OCD in the past and so I knew what treatment was like and I knew treatment was like excruciating and hard and I knew so much about OCD in general that it is chronic and it attacks what you value. And so in my mind, I was like, this is going to be my whole life. There's nothing I value more than my kids. OCD is going to stick to this. There's no way I can do the treatment with this particular obsession. So I'm, this is my life. Like, like I'm out of luck. Like here I am. I'm going to miss everything. Yeah. Like they're going to be 18 moving out of the house and I will have missed everything because I was stuck in my head. That's such an awful thought. And I can only imagine how hard that was. Yeah. It As just. As a mom, like to, oh, they're your world and you, I know you and you are, I'm going to cry, an amazing mom. And so to see you struggle with that was so hard. Yeah. Well, and I feel that way too. Like with Will, I, we romanticized the past and I'm sure I didn't enjoy every moment, but I feel like from him, like my first kid, I just loved that first few years. And I felt like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And like, I finally feel like I have a purpose and, um, I think I'm good at this and I really like it. And then like, OCD really threatened to take that away from me. And so I responded in all the wrong ways, <laughs> according to, you know, OCD treatment. Um, and it just snowballed and took over. One of my other questions I was going to ask you is how how has this changed? Like, how were your expectations like totally not met after having Brooks? And I feel like you just said that right there, that your first baby will, it was like everything you imagined it was going to be like, it was like, yes, there were hard moments, of course, and challenges, but to then have another baby and then be like, this is so opposite of what I experienced the first time. Like that had to be traumatic in a sense. Like I'm sure looking back now, now that you are in a better place, like the trauma of it, I feel like that's relatable. That's hard. Yes. Yeah. I think there's, I don't necessarily think I need to be treated for trauma, but I think this has been extremely traumatizing for me for a lot of different reasons. And I feel like I also have moments where I feel like just this extreme sorrow about what's happened because I really, when we got pregnant with Brooks, I was so excited. We also had to do infertility treatments to get mm-hmm. pregnant with 
with both kids, but with Will, it was more challenging. And it was kind of one of those stories that you hear all the time that it's like, oh, we were going to do IVF the next month and then we got pregnant. Right. And that happened to us. But the whole time that we had Will growing up, I was thinking like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have another one because I don't know if this was just some fluke. Fluke. Yeah. Yeah. And so then when we were able to get pregnant with Brooks, I was so excited and I remember for like three nights, I had trouble sleeping because I was just like, oh my gosh, we get to have a baby again and we get to have like the one-year-old again and the two-year-old again. And I was so excited. Oh, <laughs> sorry, it's hard. So that's what I had been expecting. And then it was just really the opposite. I, again, like with Will, I'm sure there were hard times. And times that I didn't enjoy. And with Brooks, I'm sure there were times that I enjoyed and times that were good. But overall, I feel like I was surviving most days. And that I didn't enjoy him really at all. Because I was so, like, the obsession, you know, it started with, do I love my kids equally? And then it shifted, because that's what OCD does, is it evolves And it, because your brain like gets used to one thing and then it's like, okay, we're not scared of that anymore. Let's move on. Yeah. And so then it shifted to, do I love Brooks enough? Do I love him at all? Do I, and it was kind of like, do I love him as much as Will? But it was only on Brooks. So Will was now like untouched by the OCD and Brooks was the sole focus of it. Um, And so for years, I felt really disconnected from him. And I just so desperately wanted to feel that connection. And I'm, you know, was pushing away the intrusive thoughts that they just keep coming back at you. But I just, you know, I feel like I missed, I just didn't experience it how I wanted to. Um, Now that I'm in a better place, and I'm not always, (laughs) you know, there's up and down, up up and down. down, But um, I can say like, yeah, this was not what I wanted at all. And I would never wish that it would happen. If I could do something to undo it, I would. But I did what I had to do to be a good mom still. And so even though on my end, I wasn't having like, wasn't feeling that connection. I was not wanting to like be on this earth anymore. I, I played with him. I fed him. I put him down for naps. He's very connected to me. Um, And I took care of my older son as well. And so I'm like, hey, it didn't go how I wanted it to go. But I can feel good that like I still did what you still did it. I had to do to be a good mom. Yeah. I just remember too, like talking to your husband when you were going through some of the hardest times. And I was just like the fact that you still showed up during those, I mean, heart wrenching, difficult moments is just so admirable because you did persevere through things that you didn't think you were going to make it through. And nobody, I feel like people who know you obviously know what you've been through, but from the outside looking in, I just, I feel like I have to just applaud you for the fact that you were like, I still showed up and I was still the mom. And they, I bet they will never know. You know what I mean? That you, that you were going through such hard things and yeah, yeah, they will always look up to their mom and be like, wow, my mom is amazing. Yeah. I really are. I hope they don't know. 
I don't think they will. I've asked Will because there was a point where I was like crying all the time. Like, Did you remember when mom couldn't couldn't function? I like asked him. I was yeah. like, because one time Tanner like cried. This was earlier on my husband and I I had been crying all the time. And then Tanner was upset about something and Will was like, stop acting like mom. So I was like, oh my <laughs> oh, gosh, no. he's just going to see me as like this, you know, barely functioning person yeah he doesn't remember that's so good I wanted to talk to you about your Instagram account you had created I know you've kind of posted here and there on it but talk about kind of the title of it because I feel like that probably was a big part in your treatment and how you've come to this place now yeah so I created this account on Instagram that I I don't post on very often it's you know it's hard to be vulnerable so on hard. social media mm-hmm. Um, but it's called function over feeling. And so a big part of my treatment, um, which we, our family moved to Florida last year to do an intensive treatment program for OCD. So we were in Florida for about eight months. Um, one of their big kind of messages was the goal is to, the goal in treatment is to function and the goal is not to feel better. And I hated that because I was like, well, then why am I here? Because in my mind, I was like, I'm functioning enough. I'm not someone who just lays in bed all day. Not that like, like I don't have, it's not so severe. Right. That I lay in bed all day. And can't get up. And, and can't get up. my family. Like or, I've right. made dinner. I take my kids to the park. I go to the aquarium. Like I drop, you know, my, my older child off at school. I've got that. Like, I want to feel better. That's why I'm here. And they just wouldn't, won't budge on that at all. That like your goal in treatment cannot be feelings based because no one has any control of their feelings at all. You can't flip happiness on. You can't turn mad on. You can't switch one to the other. We're not in control of our emotions. Emotions come in waves. They come and they go and they are complicated and they, yeah, it's just something that we don't have control over. And so you can't have a goal. Their idea was you can't have a goal of, I want to feel a certain way because feelings are temporary. Feelings are out of our control. Your goal has to be something that you can actually have control over, which is behavior, um, what you do. And so that's the function part. So they'd always be saying function over feeling in one way or another. Um, and eventually while I still really don't like it because I wish we yeah. could control our feelings. Yes. And that is, of course, like what anyone, any any of us wants to feel good. And happy and all ha- the time. Yes. It's just something we can't control. And the part that we can control does actually lead to the change of feelings over time. And it does change your brain. But it takes a lot of practice and work and, you know, continuing to do it over and over and over again so that you change because you're actually changing habits and patterns and the way that you do things. And that's what changes neural pathways. But there's no way of like talking yourself into feeling happy or, you know, there are some therapies that are that would more focus on like think of, replace a negative thought with a happy thought kind of right. thing and just thinking your way kind of into happiness. But their philosophy was, no, you have to like, like 
totally change your behavior to change how you feel your brain and your feelings. That's so interesting. And so their goal was it doesn't like maybe you'll be happier once you start maybe functioning, <laughs> but we can't guarantee it because right. no one like you can can't control, control it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, control is a thing that if I just I'm gonna try to draw the infertility in just a little bit for some of our listeners because I feel like loss of control is so difficult to deal with when you want something so badly, like in your situation, you want to feel better. You want to be happy. You want to be your old self again. In an infertility world, it's like you want a baby. You want your transfer to work out. You want the IUI to work. You want to be happy. You don't want to be down and out and hate every pregnant person you see. But I just like that you said you you can't change that. Like those feelings are going to come and go. And one of my therapists told me one time, like, you just have to feel what you're feeling mm-hmm. and then move on to the next feeling. And hopefully it won't be, you know, and like you said, you have to learn how to function with that feeling. Yes. Which that is really hard. It's really hard. It's really hard. And I, I think another like important piece to it as well is that the more you try and control your feelings, the more that backfires, mm-hmm. the more you push anxiety the, away the harder it comes at you. The more you don't want to feel sad, you stay sad, you you know? Yeah. And like, if you're just searching for happiness all day and wanting, like, maybe this will make me feel better. Maybe this will make me feel better. That's a form of resistance. So you're really pushing away what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And so that you're not letting that natural wave of emotion happen. So by letting go of that control and just focusing on behavior and what you actually can do takes the pressure off of having to feel or not feel anything and then you're not like suffering from your emotions either right right would you say that that's probably what has helped you the most in this round of your therapy yeah is learning how to kind of just be in those really hard moments and then kind of taking a step and taking action and moving forward yes I yeah I think it was a huge part and I think for the the time that we were in Florida, I feel lots of things progressed. I feel like that is where I got to where I'd want to be. There's other things that I'm still working towards, but like the functioning aspect it is hard sometimes still, but I can do it, you know, and I know I can do it. And um, like I can function with those feelings. I can keep going. And I, I had said that I, I thought I had been functioning before. Um, and I, I, I'm really functioning a lot better now than I used to, because I had quit doing a lot of things. I pretty much did what I had to, you know, I woke up with my kids, took Will to school. I'd be with Brooks until he took a nap, but I stopped making dinner. We could just order in. I stopped like cleaning the house. Cause like, doesn't really need to get done. Um, Stopped seeing friends, stopped talking to people, uh, stopped doing anything enjoyable, you know, and anything I did do was a form of resisting what I was going through. And so I'd be like, hey, if I go run, maybe that'll make me feel better. If I go take, you know, go to the aquarium with the kids, my mind might be clear for a minute. And so my goal with any of the behavior, the action was to change a feeling And the goal with the behavior can't be feelings to change a feeling. It has to be like, I'm doing this behavior because I value this. This is something that I care about in my life. So 
I'm going to go running because that's the type of exercise that I like doing and I want to be healthy. Yeah. But like it may or may not change how I feel right now, but I'm not doing it because I want to change how I feel. That's such a good point. Yeah. And it's really hard to like not have your goal be change your feeling. Yeah. I feel like I'm learning so much. I really do. Just about myself too. You know, that, not that we're, not that I've been through anything compared to what you have with your mental struggle and everything, but just, just those feelings of, oh, I'm going to go do this. Like, this is so stupid, but like, I would just buy clothes when I was sad. Like when something wouldn't work out, I'd be like, Jordan, don't look at the credit card. Okay. I'm just (laughs) going to buy some stuff because I, that makes me feel better, but I didn't. Yeah. In the long term. No. Yeah. I don't value that. Like, that's just, I'm just having like little aha moments of things that were such stupid habits that I was in a state of like depression and sadness. And I was like, I just have to do something. Yeah. So that's just so interesting. And I think there's definitely times when like, cause I won't go into it, but my, my diagnosis kind of shifted in Florida a little bit. It split. I had this, you know, OCD diagnosis and then this emotion regulation disorder diagnosis. Um, and so there is a totally different line of therapy that is focused on like changing your feelings. It's still done by behavior, but it's when feelings are just too intense for the situation. Maybe like you're having self-harm thoughts and things like that where it's like, okay, hey, you're doing this to bring like that rational mind back in and lower the intensity of the emotion. So there, I think it, there are definitely times when it is effective and appropriate to like, I'm doing this because like, I got to get myself out of this state of mind. Okay. Yeah. But in just normal kind of living and like management of life. It's, it's not going to fix it in not the long fix run. It. Yeah, it's Any temporary. Even, yes, temporary exactly. Fix for sure. Um, but a lot of people, they, you know, whatever, however you're coping before um, and it's not helping you in the long run, you know, they would call that an unhealthy coping mechanism. And so mine would be things like you were saying, like, oh, shopping. Um, I might sleep a lot like take a really long nap when I can to just like not be conscious. Yeah. Yeah. In the world. And those are probably, those were probably like the two biggest one, but for some people it's a lot more harmful things. It is like, um, doing drugs or, uh, drinking during the middle of the day, which that's a behavior and it temporarily removes the pain. Mm -hmm. Just like me taking a nap temporarily. I don't feel it. Right. But then you wake up and it's it's still right there. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about kind of the identity thing. Like, how do you, we've talked about this with other guests too. Like, how do you not let your infertility define you? How do you not let this really, really difficult diagnosis not define you? That's a good question. Um, I don't feel like it does, which is good. I don't know how I would have answered that question a year ago. Um, but I think it might have something to do with that idea of functioning no matter what. Like I'm going to live my values no matter how I feel. Like OCD is not going to make this decision for me. Like I, there were times when, you know, it had been a really hard day with um, mentally and emotionally and me and Tanner would have planned to go on a date. And because I felt so just discouraged and depressed and hopeless because of everything 
I want to go, you know, or we'd be like, we'll just do it for a time. I feel better. But now it's like, no, regardless of how I'm feeling or what my mind is telling me, what OCD is saying, like I'm living how I want to live. I'm not living how like the mental illness is telling me to live or to do something. I'm doing it because this is the life I'm trying to create and it's based on what I value not based on like fears. I love that so much. Don't let your struggle take over what you enjoy and what you love and the people you love. And do you feel like relationships, how, how did this affect your relationships with your husband, with family, with friends? I know it was hard. I think it, I mean, for so long before I was getting the right kind of treatment, I did not feel like I could keep doing with those feelings. And so I would just shut down. Um, I definitely tend to, and I think it's common with like with depression and anxiety to isolate. And so if it was a hard day, it's like, I'm not going to reach out. I don't want to see people. I don't want to talk to people. Um, And so I do think some relationships were probably, you know, some distance developed Um, for me and my husband. It's really just been hard for both of us. And I think it's been traumatizing for both of us. And so Ultimately, I think it's made us stronger together, but it has not been easy just with all of our fears coming into everything. I mean, I can't even explain it. I'm sure there's just so much to it all. And I think I let it consume. I don't blame myself because, you know, I was doing the best with what I knew, you know, but I, I let OCD take over so much that it it just became my life. And so I didn't, you know, talk to friends or family with any about anything but what I was going through and what my problems were and what I was scared of and what I'm going to do next. And, you know, just kind of always in a panic about it. And that's not the kind of relationships I want to have, you know? Yeah. And so that's another big difference, I guess, I see now is even if I am struggling with it to some degree, I don't really talk about it to that many people. And it's one of the reasons is like, I don't want to put more focus there. That's not where I want my focus of my life to be. You're like, I want to grow and overcome this or deal with it. I don't want this to always be like the dark cloud, even though it might always be there. Right. But, and I want like my relationships to like, I want to go do fun things. I want to support friends and what they're dealing with. I don't want my life to be OCD. Yeah, I love that. Okay, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how your spirituality and faith kind of like tied into this whole process and what did that help you? Was that hard for you? Was there anything you relied on that you were like, I have to rely on a higher power or anything like that to get through some of your really, really hard moments? Yes. Um, I really relied on and really hoped, hoped, had faith, relied on at different times that God was there and somewhere and aware of my problems and um, what I was going through and was someone who could see the bigger picture and help me make choices along the way. I think initially when I was going through it, there were many times that I would pray, like, take this away from me. Like, I can't do this. This isn't fair. Like, I need this gone. 
And eventually I started praying, like, just lead me. Like, I'll do anything. I'll do anything to get better, but like, show me where to go. And then that's when things started to line up with Florida. And so I felt like that was a big answer. Um, And then even while I was there, it did not go how I expected. It was really, really hard. And I, we stayed there a lot longer than I right. thought we were yeah. going to stay there. You were like, maybe I'll just stay at the beach. Yeah, maybe <laughs> we should sell our house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm glad you didn't. But. <laughs> but really, it was like, wow, this isn't going how I thought it would go. And there have been several times, probably three, four times, where in desperation, I feel like I have asked for something in prayer and to me I feel like I've gotten an answer like a really specific answer and also and of course I have also doubted those things along the way and I'm like well I'm still here so (laughs) maybe that was just my own brain what I needed yeah (laughs) but it really has helped me to um to when sometimes there's not another choice to just choose to trust that and to trust like, okay, you, okay, I'm just going to believe that I was given that answer. Like, yeah, I can doubt it all day long, but I'm going with it. I'm going with it. Like, yeah, yeah, that's it. And I, I am someone who faith does not come easy. I don't, um, I'm a very, I analyze and things are logical. I don't know. And I don't like, I feel like before this experience, before this, you know, couple of years, I don't feel like I had very many like spiritual experiences in my life. Um, and I truly feel like I have that in my life now. Um, I don't know. I guess I just say that to say like, this isn't normal for me to just be like getting answers and to feeling like a connection. Um, and it would definitely be isolated too. Like, cause I think when we're struggling, I don't know, I, you would think like, oh, you have this experience where you feel uplifted and you have an answer. And so it's going to like sustain you for a really long period of time. And for me, it didn't, it would be like, a couple of days and then then you'd hit another low point yeah. and then it's like now what do I do now what do I do and like months go by and it's like wait why did that answer come and I still am struggling so much mm-hmm. and so but it's still something that like there were these touch points kind of like anchors along the way of like okay I think I'm on the right path because of these things that I felt and experienced um so it definitely helped me a lot. And then I think just, I don't know, other like spiritual beliefs of just having a purpose to being here. And, um, I don't know. It, it did help me feel like at one point this thing that felt like so awful and all the suffering I was going through could mean something else in the future. Yeah, that there was purpose to it, that yeah. it wasn't all for nothing. Right. I, I like that you said anchors, because I think that's kind of how God works. I think he doesn't always give us the whole picture, unfortunately. Yeah, sure wish he did. That would be so <laughs> nice. Um, But yeah, I love that, that anchors, that at points in our life when we feel like we can't do it alone. We have to be reminded, I think, a lot of the times, like, you're not, you can't do this by yourself. I know I have to be reminded of that all the time. Um, 
And I just think your story is proof that not that you were trying to do it by yourself, but that God reminds us that we're not alone in it. And he does know our struggles. And it's like, we might not get it all laid out, but we'll get to the next step. Yeah. The next anchor, the next, the next harbor, the next port. On right. The ship, you know? <laughs> so I love that you shared that. Thank you for sharing that. That's so great. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about kind of the parallels with infertility, if that's okay. I mean, I yeah. know I had asked you about the podcast and I said, do you feel like you can kind of relate like to the theme and things like that? And you said, yes. And I think talking to you just now, I was just thinking about um, just with the function over feeling, I think in infertility, it's really hard to take the next step because it's, there's so much unknown, right? And with your situation, it was the same thing. It's like, well, if I go do this treatment in another state, move my family, like, is it going to work? Like you didn't know if it would or wouldn't. And so I just think that is so powerful to remember that, you know, we just have to take the next step and trust and have hope, that blind hope and brave trust that like something good could come from it. Okay. Um, what else do you think that you could kind of relate to with infertility maybe? There is so much unknown and it's so complicated, both kind of conditions or experiences like say, yeah. infertility and mental illness um, that I would feel like, okay, I'm going to try, like, get off this medicine, try a new one. But worry, is this going to be worse? Is there going to be more side effects? Is, you know, a transition takes like six to eight weeks, mm-hmm. sometimes longer. And um, just every step would be, I hope that this will be in the Fingers right direction. Yeah. But I don't know if it will and I'm tired of being disappointed and I'm exhausted from looking for answers and I remember in one of the group sessions we were in um and when I was in treatment in Florida um I was stepping down in treatment so I was going from full day therapy to half days and I was really worried I wasn't ready for that step and I remember the therapist created this analogy that you're you're in a dark room and it's pitch black. You can't see a thing. There's no window. There's nothing, no light coming in at all. Um, and I kind of added to this analogy by adding all this, like there's furniture, there's a, like a little playground in there. There's stuff on the ground that you can trip over and you have no idea. And your goal is to find that door and like get out. And so you're, you know, touching this part of the wall and you're like, okay, I'm going to try this thing. Maybe if I go up these steps, I'll get to the door. You don't know. Am I just in a room? Am I in a whole house? Like you have no idea. And whether it leads you to that door or not directly, you went a step further rather than just standing in the same place where there's no chance you're making it to that door. So even if you have to go up those stairs and you're like, door wasn't Break your here. leg in the process. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, okay, I tried that route. I'm going to go back down. And it's exhausting and it's frustrating, but the only way, like the only chance of ever getting to where you want to be is to just take another step forward. Yeah. That's so well said. That is so well said. And I relate to that so much, even right now in my situation, because we're like, okay, well, do we do we start trying again for us? It's just like, what does that look like? Right. And I'm, I'm just like, I just have to take a step. Right. And I think that that's just so, I love hearing that from someone like you because it gives me courage to take a step when it's scary and I don't know what's next or what, 
hard things could be ahead. And so I just so appreciate you sharing that. What would you say, I know this is really kind of a hard question, but like people who are struggling with their mental health, maybe struggling with OCD, mm-hmm. struggling with infertility, like what would you say is advice you would give? That's so broad. And I think maybe maybe like specifically with their mental health, like if you're like in a dark place and you're struggling with your thoughts and things mm-hmm. like that, what would be advice you would give? It is so, that is such a hard question. I feel like if you're struggling mentally and with your thoughts, emotions, reaching out to anyone, if you haven't, is going to be a great first step. And I don't even mean professionally, like anyone. There's a lot of shame and stigma with mental health and particularly with OCD and the types of intrusive thoughts people will experience. They don't want to tell anyone they're having those kinds of thoughts. And even probably the same with depression. You're ashamed of some of the things you're feeling. And getting support from someone that you trust that you trust is that is going to help just to have someone that you can talk to. Um, definitely knowing that like there is help out there. You just have to find it. But that it is findable too. Um, like getting for OCD specifically, that's really all I can speak to really. Um, finding a, I would say like you have to find an OCD specialist. Like do not go to anyone else. If they don't specialize in OCD, do not go to them. They're not your person. You yeah. need someone who's yeah, specific too. OCD requires a really specific form of treatment and it's really effective it's one of the most effective dis- mental disorders because the treatment is um it works so well but it's tricky and it's confusing and it's hard and you have to be with someone who knows what they're doing um so i would say like you like ocd it's so possible to recover from and to live a normal life yeah but you have to have the right help. And when, if you don't, it's just going to be harder and take the process longer. I don't believe there's ever a point where someone is like too deep in it and can't get out. I've heard too many stories. Yeah. But the sooner you get help and start working on it, like the faster that you'll get out of it and you'll feel like yourself again. So, and just knowing that there are a lot of people experiencing it more than you know I'm so surprised if I bring up my experience it's like the floodgates open yes. and people are like oh I know someone or so-and-so had to go yeah. through this or well don't you feel like vulnerability brings connection I just feel like I've learned that so much like your Instagram are you sharing this now I just feel like talking about the things that are hard is hard but wow can it bring so much good it can just bring so much good yeah and that's I'm just, I feel like that's something I needed to learn in life was like talking about my infertility was something that I didn't ever want to do, but I just feel like I've met so many great people who have strengthened me. And I just, I just hope that it will be something that I can help, not help others, but just be like, it's hard. Like we're in it together, you know, like we're going to get through it. Yeah. One diet Coke and chocolate bar (laughs) at a time, you know, it's just, it's just life is tough. And that's why we're all here together. (laughs) It it is. It is. And I, I feel the same way about like the mental health community and the OCD community that I feel like I want to, like I used to really 
hate to be a part of the OCD community. Like I'm like, I do not want to be part of this group. Right. You don't want to label yourself yeah. like I'm, I'm okay. Like nope. I'm not there. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, I'm not like you guys. Like, yeah, I don't want to be in this club. This is like the worst club it's to be in. Club. Yes. <laughs> you These know, are the worst clubs. Yeah. Like, no, this is not my life. <laughs> yeah. And now I remember there was a point where I'm like, I don't want to not be in this club because I was, I can't even explain it very well, but it was something like this feeling of, I don't want to be someone who doesn't know this suffering because other people have to feel it. Like, I don't want to be someone who's oblivious to it, even though I really do. Yes. Like, I do want to be oblivious yes, to it. Yes, you want to forget the hard. I'm like, I want to be able to relate because this is, I don't know. It's just. No, I get what you're saying because I feel like that with infertility. Like, I've said this on some of my prior episodes. Like, I don't want to ever forget how hard it is because you it's like ingrained in you and you like don't want to ever become calloused to it for others because it is the hardest thing and you know and you just don't want other people to think like oh she doesn't know anymore like she had a kid now like yeah and that's why I just feel like oh I'm just so passionate about it and I'm sure you feel the same way I can tell you do you just want to be there for those who really need the support and yeah I want to educate I want to advocate I want like I want someone like who, you know, if I want to help someone identify what it is like. Yeah. And you're doing that right now. I just feel like I'm so thankful that you were willing to share because I remember talking to you back before when you were really in the thick of things. And I was like, Brighton, (laughs) such an idiot. Brighton, we should have you on the podcast. (laughs) And it's like you were in such a hard place, but I'm just so glad that you're in a happier place now and you have been able to share this because it has just been so educational for me and inspiring. And I'm just so thankful for your courage and that you're my friend. I just love you so much. I really do. Um, well, let's just end with our last question. What does it mean to you to live a life of cautious optimism? Um, well, we are surrounded no matter you have OCD, you have infertility, you have neither of these things. Life is uncertain. Um, and that's a huge part of the OCD problem is this need for certainty. Um, but everything is uncertain. Like we can't really be certain about much of anything. And so we can never know what the next step will bring, what will happen tomorrow, what will happen a year from now. And I think it's much better for me to have a hopeful, like optimistic look at what's coming. Like, okay, I think I'm, at least I'm doing this. At, okay, I plan to do this. And yeah, I don't know if it's going, if I'm going to be where I want to be in a year. I might not. But just, you know, to keep taking the steps, hoping that eventually I'll get to where I want to be. Um I have definitely struggled with hopelessness a lot in the last uh, several years. And that is harder than anything. Like that's harder than the intrusive thoughts. That's harder than the anxiety for me is feeling like there's no way out and this is it forever. And it, for me, leads to nothing productive for me, for my family, for anything. And that is, yeah, that's been like probably the most painful thing. So I wouldn't say I'm always very good at being. It's something I have to kind of work towards to 
remain hopeful and optimistic and in this process to like have some sort of hope that things are going to be okay. But I mean, you can't control what happens. You can only control like what you are doing in this moment. And so I try and, you know, have hope that, that I'm going to get there. Yeah. That good things are coming. Right. Well, I do feel like it's worth it to mention that like the cautious part means also that like there will still be hard days. Yeah. As you've mentioned, you know, that you're not always going to be high on life and things are going to be tough and it's just how we deal with the tough. And if we can find the hope in it, then life is a lot better than hopeless, having the hopeless thoughts and the hard things, but they'll probably come too, right? Like we said, we don't know what tomorrow we bring, but we'll just hope for the best. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Brian. I'm so glad we got together and got to do this. And I really think your story is going to really touch a lot of people and inspire so many. I know I feel very inspired after Thanks for tuning in to Cautious Optimism. Find us on Instagram at Cautious Optimism Podcast. Send us a message, leave us a review, and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, keep hoping for the best and stay cautiously optimistic about the future.